is Scott. I'm the lead pastor here at First Christian Church. We're really glad you're here in worship with us this morning for week, I don't know, five or so in our Risk series. We're going to talk about uh, what we've been doing in that Risk series in just a bit here, but I want you to have a Bible and a program slash bulletin handy. Um, it's got space for sermon notes and the study questions for our life groups. If you need a Bible or if you need one of the programs or if you didn't get a ballot earlier and you were a First Christian Church member, make sure you pick those up. Our guest services peeps coming down the aisles have those at the ready for you. You're going to want to turn to Matthew 8, where we pick up week 5 in our risk series. We're going to be studying just the first few verses in Matthew 8, verses 1 through 4. So you'll want to have those handy. Uh, verses 1 through 4 in chapter 8. Um, in this series called Risk, we're looking at how God moves his kingdom forward when his people act with courage. Um, so we're going to apply that to us individually and corporately. Uh, I want to tell you in a little bit here about how we see God using our corporate courage uh, for the sake of moving forward his kingdom uh, here in our community. Uh, that's, if you can't tell the angle, why we're doing Risk um, this summer. Um, just want to point out a couple things before we talk a little bit about um, what that corporate courage looks like here in just a second. Um, FCC members um, are indeed voting today, if you're a First Christian member, um, voting to confirm the salary package for and the hiring of Ben Weaver uh, as our new kids director. He is uh, here with us in, in-house. So if you vote against Ben, he's an actual person right there. Um, the Board of Elders and uh, Deacons, <laughs> welcome to being on staff, Ben. Um, the Board of Elders and Deacons voted unanimously a couple weeks ago, um, and FCC members were sent a letter uh, a little over 10 days ago giving details of what today's vote is about. So um, if things go as planned, uh, Ben starts tomorrow morning at 7.30 because we have an appointment. So if you vote down Ben, he's <laughs> you don't have to come to the appointment, I guess. Uh, also, want to make sure that you are making, hey, that's a cute picture of Ben and Anna. Um, Anna in um, September is becoming uh, Ben's bride. So uh, they're with us here today. Um, <laughs> worthy of a clap. I um, want to also point out that uh, at the end of July, on the 29th of July, um, we are going to um, be having what we're calling the Family Circus Celebration. Make sure you're making plans for that. This is what we're doing this summer instead of VBS. Uh, we've taken a pause from VBS this summer because we did not have full-time kids person. And we were also pressing reset because we got crazy plans for next year. Uh, promise it's super cool. We'll tell you way more about that later. But this is happening on Sunday, July 29th. Make sure you're here in the church parking lot immediately following the second service. We've got cool stuff like food trucks, games, fun stuff for all ages. Come join us. Uh, we do need helpers, by the way, both with setup and cleanup. Um, so please see somebody in the hub if you're willing to help. Uh, write on your connection card, willing to help with uh, Family Circus Celebration. I knew it, I knew it was FCC. Couldn't. So, Moving on to um, something we talk about so that you kind of understand what the risk series means in the life of our congregation and why we're talking about this this summer. Um, we are 
um, sort of setting a biblical precedent uh, for what courage looks like when God um, takes people's courage and they risk. He does amazing things for the kingdom. And uh, so we are um, becoming a church in two locations with two campuses um, so that we can continue growing and reaching people. We have been working uh, for this uh, for well over two years praying, studying, scheming, adjusting org charts and job descriptions. Um, and we've got lots of cool plans to tell you about. We believe that God is going to use our corporate courage to reach people throughout this entire county. Um, we have a huge vision, <laughs> huge vision that we uh, want to tell you about, um, but not today. So uh, just get ready for about four, four to six weeks we're going to be telling you in real explicit terms what that vision looks like and how we see that moving forward. I say all that. Um, I dangle the carrot in front of you today to say, for now, uh, you can help in three main ways as we work toward becoming a multi-site church in two low campuses, uh, two locations. Low campus, that was good. Make a note of that and mock me later. What is a low campus? Okay, you can help us in one of three ways, uh, perhaps all three ways. Number one, we'd like you to pray with us uh, that God would prepare our hearts to reach our community. Pray for God's continued wisdom and direction and favor in our planning. And also pray about whether you should join us on our launch team at this second campus. Uh, so in way number one that you can help us to pray for us and actually Three ways. Uh, number one, that God would continue to prepare our hearts and to reach our community. Uh, secondly, that, that we would continue to see God's wisdom and favor uh, in direction. Uh, there have been a lot of cool little things along the way the last couple of years. Just uh, pray that we'd continue to see God's will in this. Uh, and then thirdly, we'd like you to pray about whether you should consider being a part of this launch team for this second campus. Um, we're wanting to take a minimum of 125 adults to be a part of that launch team for this second campus. I told you, this is a huge vision. Uh, we're wanting to take 125 minimum adults to this second campus. Um, so we, we need to get praying about that. Um, so that's way number one for now. Way number two you can help is this. We are organizing even now crews of FCCers to do some work at that second location uh, where we think we are going to be located, um, that low campus. Um, that second site is going to be launched as early as February 2019. That's our goal right now. Uh, now, we can't reveal anything in particular yet about the location at this point uh, because that would be unwise. We've got some details to take care of still. But we want to build goodwill at that location so that they know that we're not going to be just a fly-by-night operation and that we are serious about ministering to the surrounding community at that location. So, if you're interested in helping, even if for just half a day, for a few hours, uh, please see Tommy Staggs, one of our associate pastors. He is organizing crews already um, to do some things at that location. They've already been doing some cleaning. They've already been doing some uh, moving of furniture, 
they've been doing some pressure washing, um, that kind of stuff. And there's going to be more of that kind of help and some cool other creative stuff they're going to be doing the next few weeks at that location. So if you're, you're interested in helping, uh, find Tommy Staggs, who is our associate pastor. He's sitting in the back there um, making notes about mistakes I make with my words. Um, so that's way number two, to be part of work crews, um, even if just for half a day. Um, the third thing uh, that is a way that you could help is to make sure that you go through next steps in the next few months. Next steps is an important introduction for how all this works uh, and what we mean when we talk about the seven habits, uh, worship and serve, the team code, um, why the care room and volunteer headquarters and the hub are important parts of our strategy. We're even talking in next steps um, about what parts we replicate at this other campus so that they're happening in both places and what parts we are doing is a centralized thing where both campuses um, are joining together for that. So next steps is really helpful for seeing how all this ties together. It's four sessions to help you understand why our systems work to become a church that multiplies in many places. We've been working on this for years. (laughs) Uh, So it's important if you haven't yet gotten the chance to go to next steps happens downstairs, 9 a.m. first hour. It's a four-session introduction to all things FCC. So please help by uh, being a part of one of those three ways as we go multi to pray with us, uh, to be a part of the work crews, and to go through next steps. Those are three important ways that we are getting ready for multi. And uh, I promise you want to be uh, as ready as you can be for going multi-site. Take my word for it. It's a different way of doing um, what we're doing. So you have been forewarned. Um, let me end by showing you a graph that shows the kind of growth we've been experiencing the last number of years. Um, this talks about how our engage in worship growth has averaged these percentages over the course of the last 10 years, 5, 4, 3, 2, and then 1. Um, and that note at the bottom, by the way, this is something that shows up in your next steps book when you go through those four sessions. And you find out lots of cool things like that. In a country where not one county has a larger percentage of churchgoers than it did in the year 2000, almost 20 years ago, we are experiencing consistent growth and increased momentum. In fact, if you take the last 10 weeks from 2017, we are 19% more in 2018 than the same amount of time last year. So our momentum is continuing um, to build. So please come along and let's put our corporate courage (laughs) together so that we can reach people for the sake of the gospel in our county. So pray with us. Be a part of that with us if you would, please. We'll tell you a lot more details um, in the coming weeks. Let's go ahead and read together. Matthew 8, 1 to 4. Matthew 8, 1 to 4, and then we will uh, pray together. And get into our time together to see how Jesus shows us those we overlook. Matthew says this, verse 1. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses 
commanded for a proof to them. Let's pray, friends. Father in heaven, in the quiet of this moment, we reset our hearts and minds around the amazing truth that you are creator God, that you are infinite and holy and beyond all description, that you are altogether good and you are altogether glorious, that you are God that is both the fullness of grace and of truth, and that you have given us all that we call our own for a purpose beyond us as individuals. For a purpose that joins us together as a body so that we can be a piece, a part of what you're doing throughout the body to, 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 to communicate your goodness and glory to people, Lord, who are overlooked. Father, we just ask that as we come to this passage of Scripture, as we continue our time in worship, that you would instruct us, that you would show us, that you would make us aware of all those places in our lives, all all the people around us that we don't see. So that you you would show us where we can participate in your kingdom's advance. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. So it feels a little pathetic to admit out loud, but it wasn't until my late 20s when I discovered this for the first time. And and I only discovered this because somebody else made the connection for me, and I had never thought this. Um, did you know that when you sing the ABC's tune, A, B, C, D, F, G, H, I got some vibrato, y'all. <laughs> did you know that when you sing the ABC's, it's the same exact tune as Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star? You all knew that, apparently. <laughs> I'm the only one. Okay, somebody knew. One hand. I tested that with a few folks after the, uh, before the first service uh, to discover that apparently it's like two of us in the whole building um, who didn't know that until more recently. How about this one? Um, I'm pretty sure I was in high school. I don't remember the exact moment, but I remember my mom saying this. I heard my mom saying something about how we as a family were going to break the fast in the morning. And I thought to myself, wait. <laughs> You mean breakfast isn't just a word for like the morning meal? That was funnier first service. <laughs> it, was, it was there the whole time, but I hadn't noticed it until somebody else pointed it out. It was something that was clear and obvious. And you all say, well, duh, what's wrong with you, Scott? But I didn't know until someone showed me. This is true in a lot of areas of life. This is true in a lot of areas of life. There's a lot in life that we don't notice until we're shown. We can be explained something, somebody can tell us something until we're blue in the face, and until somebody shows us or we see it illustrated or we see it lived out, we see it displayed, it's sort of a half truth for us, right? 
It's like we don't quite understand and grasp it until we see it lived out. The concept has to become lived out for us to fully understand it. And maybe it's there the whole time, like, you know, breakfast or twinkle, twinkle. But it takes someone showing us before we noticed. One of the coolest places I've seen this uh, is, is logos. I have kind of a, a, a fascination for, for logos and design. Not that I'm good at it, but I, but I think it's cool, the kind of thought and concept that goes into it. One of the coolest places where this happens a lot, where this negative space and hidden meanings thing, where you don't see it until you see it or are shown it, is logos. Here's what I mean. We'll start with an easy one. This is Baskin Robbins logo. You can see there there's a B and an R. That obviously stands for Baskin, Baskin Robbins. But you can also see, now that I'm telling you, if you didn't notice before, a three and a one for Baskin Robbins 31 flavors. Most of y'all probably know that. Not something new. I saw a few folks like, whoa, 31. <laughs> By the way, now they have a thousand flavors. I counted them on the website. I think it's almost 70, which means that I stand there in front of the cabinet paralyzed, like I'm going to make a bad choice about ice cream, which is a dumb idea, right? Like you can't make a bad choice with ice cream, but I sit there as if this is like a stewardship issue. I'm going to mess this up. (laughs) 31 flavors. Next one. This is one you've probably seen many times. It's the Amazon logo. You may be familiar with the little smile there. That even has a little dimple there for the Z. like to, to communicate when Amazon packages come to your house, you're happy, right? Maybe you didn't know, though, that it connects from A to Z to make sure that you understand that Amazon ships everything from A to Z. Come on. That's not new for anybody? Okay. All right. You're welcome. <laughs> Now you know. This logo is one of my favorites because of its use of negative space. This is the famous FedEx logo. You've probably seen this multiple times a week, perhaps multiple times a day. But have you ever noticed the clever little arrow between the E and the X? Ah, there we go. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for coming along. (laughs) You're like, he's struggling. Let's come up. (laughs) Last one. This is the Toblerone logo. Toblerone is a Swiss chocolate company that's based in Bern, Switzerland. And uh, Bern, B-E-R-N, is called the City of Bears, which is highlighted in the white space of the mountain in the logo. Ah. And now you know. And now you know. All right, settle down. It's amazing how much we don't notice until someone shows us. There's more to see if we're looking closely, if we're looking carefully. In fact, if you'll think about the exercise we just did, it's often the negative space that reveals to us the whole picture. It's often the negative space that reveals to us clearly the entire picture. You can't see the whole picture, in fact, until you notice the negative space. This is what Jesus is showing us. As the fullness of grace and truth sent by God, 
He's showing us what we're not clearly seeing. If you're missing the negative spaces, then you're not seeing the whole picture. This is what Jesus is showing to the great crowds that followed him here in Matthew 8, 1 to 4. My dad taught me early on in ministry. You can't just tell them. You've got to show them. Which is just good incarnational theology, we call it. It's, it's Jesus in the flesh doctrine that, that God has come to be with us in Jesus. Came to be the fullness of grace and truth to both teach us and to show us. He didn't just teach the word. He lived the word. The Gospel of John, in fact, says he was the word. So Jesus came to reveal the negative spaces that we aren't seeing. So as he's introducing people early on in the Gospels to the kingdom of God, they're sitting there going, I kind of get it, but not quite. So Jesus is beginning to reveal the negative spaces in Matthew 8, 1 through 4. Jump in with me there to that text we just read, the first four verses of Matthew 8. Jesus is showing us here that kingdom workers, kingdom workers risk for the sake of those we easily miss. Kingdom workers risk for the sake of those we easily miss. Let me show you what I mean. Look with me at verse 1 there. It says this, When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. This is Matthew's introduction. He's setting the stage for what Jesus does to reveal those negative spaces. And he says this, When he came down from the mountain, meaning Jesus, great crowds followed him. Now, just a few chapters earlier, Matthew starts the famous Sermon on the Mount, which is chapters 5 through 7. He starts in 5.1 by telling us that when Jesus saw the crowds, He went up on the mountain, just like Moses did, to receive the truth of God. And he began to teach them, teach the people, about how things work in the kingdom of God. So here in Matthew 8, 1, Matthew reports that Jesus came down from the mountain and he says that great crowds followed him. And they kept following him because they liked what they heard up on the mountain, but they wanted to see these teachings lived out. They wanted to see the theory become practice. They wanted to test that that this Jesus who spoke with authority, as Matthew tells us at the end of chapter 7, was actually living this stuff out as he claimed. Matthew tells us right before our passage here at the end of uh, chapter 7, he says the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So they liked what it sounded like. They, they liked the, the ideas and the theories of this kingdom. But they were wanting to see it lived out. Indeed. So they're basically saying to Jesus here, Matthew's setting this up by saying, the crowds are saying, show me, prove it. <laughs> so they followed him to find out if he would prove this theory. Here's where he does this. Behold, verse 2. In other words, don't miss this. Matthew is saying, a leper came to him, came to Jesus, and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, if you desire, if you want to do this, you can make me clean. Now, a few things to help us understand what's going on here. The word leper in Scripture covers a wide variety of of skin diseases, some of which were contagious, some of which were not, some of which were dangerous and life-threatening, some of which were no big deal at all. But they didn't have all the treatments, all the understanding that we do now. So what they would do 
is a Jewish priest would declare somebody with a skin disease, a leper, and that Jewish priest would say, you have to follow these rules for how we protect ourselves from what could be contagious. So they would declare somebody with a skin disease a leper, and they would be banished from their home, from, from their environment. They would be excluded from participating in any social or religious or family activities. They would have to go live outside the city by themselves with other lepers, and they were required by Scripture to wear torn clothes, to leave their hair uh, long and unkempt. They would have to walk around yelling unclean everywhere they went to warn others to stay away from them. This was all stipulated by Old Testament law. And so the lepers would do all these things and live outside the city, outside the camp, until one of two things happened. Either their disease cleared up and they were healed, or they died. That was the only way that they knew to to contain those contagious forms of skin disease. Which is to say, (laughs) it became, for those with, with leprosy, skin diseases, it became a terrible and extremely isolating existence. To be unclean meant to be cut off from all society. I mean, think about this. Can you imagine having to walk around all day looking like that while yelling unclean in order to keep people from being near you? you your existence was tied into this sense of identity of I have to say unclean to keep people from coming toward me so that they do not touch me. That's, that's how this man lived from moment to moment. Watching from afar, yelling about being unclean. Can you imagine having to keep yourself, literally keep yourself in relational isolation? <laughs> this is a terrible existence. So this man with leprosy approaches Jesus. He approaches Jesus, which, think about it, is already going against convention. Because he shouldn't even be in the crowds with Jesus. He should be yelling unclean. He shouldn't be around them. He should be watching from afar. (laughs) But instead, this man with leprosy, he kneels down and says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus, (laughs) just say the word. And you can fix everything. That's how much this, this leper acknowledged the power Jesus had. Which means this wasn't just some poor man hoping Jesus was powerful enough so that he would beg and perhaps it could happen. This was a man who had faith and who acknowledged from the outset that Jesus was Lord and that he had the power. The question was simply whether Jesus willed it, whether he wanted to heal him. If you will, you can make me clean. This man had a very tangible sense of of being unclean and needing someone from the outside to approach him and help him. I'm unclean. If you will, you can make me clean. So, verse 3. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him which is way out of bounds. (laughs) 
It's not only considered unsafe, unwise, it's considered treacherous, it's considered careless, it's considered risky. There would be people watching this scene thinking, what are you doing? Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will. I desire that you are clean, so be clean. And Matthew says, immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now, if you've grown up hearing about Jesus, and this story uh, isn't new to you, then this may sound like the normal, everyday Jesus thing to do. (laughs) But don't miss the radical nature of what's going on here. Because normally, a rabbi, a Jewish teacher of the law, should follow the well-known protocol. Everybody knew what you do about lepers. Normally, a rabbi should follow the the well-worn, well-known protocol for this man's healing, right? I mean, there's a way we handle this situation, Jesus. Normally, a rabbi should refuse to have anything to do with this man, let alone actually touch him. There were even scriptural protocols to maintain a ritual purity. And most of the crowds watching this play out, watching this scene play out, would have been quite familiar with how Jesus was supposed to respond. But he doesn't respond as he was supposed to respond. Instead, he touches this leper, which is crazy in their minds. It's dangerous. It's treacherous. It's being unfaithful to how you know you should act in their minds. Which means that at this moment, as Jesus touches this man, that's the moment when suddenly some in the crowd watching this play out began to see the negative space and began to see the whole picture of how this kingdom worked. You see, Jesus had just been teaching in the Sermon on the Mount before this things like, blessed are the poor in spirit. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Love your enemies. So the crowd could already tell in the Sermon on the Mount, he was teaching this new way of living. He kept saying things like, you've heard it said, but I say. And so even then, before he touches this man, as he's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, they even had an inkling then, even as Jesus was teaching these things, that there were obviously some things in life they weren't clearly seeing. But they wanted to see how this played out. They wanted to see this theory become practice. So in touching this man and healing him of his disease, Jesus was taking, in their terms, what was a great risk in order to let people see this new kingdom life in action. This moment of touching this man was the application of the Sermon on the Mount that the crowds were hoping to see. And it was the moment where the negative space came for some of those in the crowd, and they began to see what this Jesus guy was here to do. Jesus finishes up in verse 4 with what sounds like a strange command. But in the context, it makes sense. Look at verse 4. We'll finish there. Jesus said to him, to the man he had just healed, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift. There is a, a sacrificial offering Uh, that they were supposed to, there was an offering they were supposed to bring that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now, this may sound a little strange to us. Uh, Why would Jesus want to keep this a secret? (laughs) 
But Jesus has just gone public with his ministry. He was gathering a following. He knew he had much work to do. He literally knows at some point I'm going to be dying. I want to extend my ministry here on earth. When you think about it, three years was amazing that he lasted that long. And so he's trying to sort of extend his ministry. And he doesn't want this supernatural power thing becoming a necessary distraction. So he tells this man at this point to keep this miracle sort of hush-hush. And there are some other reasons why, but he tells him to go show the priests and to go pay the required offering as a proof to them. As a proof to them. Because, because only the Messiah heals lepers. That's straight out of Scripture. It's a part of their traditions. So any priest having a leper come and say, this man touched me and I am healed, boom, it's a sign to these priests. The kingdom of God has come in power. The law had been fulfilled by the Messiah. The one who heals lepers had finally arrived. That was a moment which should have been for them. Another negative space revealing the whole picture kind of moment. This was the moment when that negative space that people hadn't been seeing became clear. And when Jesus began to teach and live out that these people considered outcasts according to the world don't need isolation as was the norm, as was their rule. (laughs) But very much on the contrary, they needed the closeness of Jesus that brings healing. And the closeness of Jesus that brings healing requires going beyond conventional definitions of safety and wisdom. The closeness of Jesus that brings healing requires going beyond conventional definitions of safety and wisdom. Because in touching and in healing this man, Jesus was showing what we normally miss. Listen, friends, you likely have people around you that need the closeness of Jesus that brings healing and you're not seeing them. I know that's true of me. There are people all around us who need the closeness of healing that Jesus brings that happens when we go beyond convention, when we risk more than feels wise, when perhaps we go beyond the ways we've learned to interact relationally. Now perhaps you're not seeing those people because you're in love with a false sense of security that comes from maybe having resources or pretending you're in control or seeing yourself as more competent than you really are. Perhaps those kinds of idols of self-sufficiency are, are what, what are keeping you from seeing those around you who need Jesus. So the question for us today is who is in your negative space that you're not seeing yet? Because Jesus was here for those who were not being seen, but who needed to be and wanted to be. Who is in your negative space? Who has faded into the background of your life? Perhaps you've decided you're not going to see someone anymore. Friends, this is germane. This is important for us. Because all of these people 
that aren't noticed, that are overlooked, that are in the negative space of our lives. These people have names, they have stories, they have struggles, and someone needs to go to them to bring them touch and healing and to offer the closeness of Jesus that can bring that healing. Do you have some other plan for that? Because apparently the kingdom of God works this way. We are called, friends, to see into the negative space around us and to notice and to risk encounters with people that may cost us. That's what Jesus did for us. Now, this is especially important for us. (laughs) This is especially important for us as a church, as we become a church with two campuses where we believe that God is calling us to reach out to those who live in the background and the negative spaces in our community, paying attention to those who need a fresh encounter with Jesus. So the question is, are we willing, are we willing to risk to offer people the closeness of Jesus that can bring healing? This idea that we are called to reach people so that they are no longer overlooked, that they are no longer disconnected is part and parcel of our mission of helping people find and follow Jesus. This calling to connect people is integrated throughout all of what we call our seven habits. Connecting the overlooked to Jesus is what we do. Connecting the overlooked to Jesus is who we're called to be. It's why we engage in worship. Connecting people to Jesus is why we engage in worship. It's why we pray and study the Bible. It's why we identify with Christ. Because these habits open the eyes of our hearts to align with a God who sees. To align with Jesus, to see what he sees, to care about what he cares about, so that we would be formed in his image. That happens in those contexts. Engage in worship. Pray and study the Bible. Identify with Christ. Connecting people to Jesus is why we serve on the team and connect in a small group. Because those habits are where the process of involvement beyond these seats begins to happen so that people can find relationship, so that they can use their gifts, so that they can learn to be meaningful and fruitful participants in what God's doing in the world, where you can find a relationship where you were known and cared for. That happens in serve on the team and connect in a small group. Connecting people to Jesus is why we pursue generosity and we tell the story. Because our shared resources and the story of God changing us are a witness to who God is and how he works. What's your plan for people coming to close proximity with Jesus for healing? That's ours. That's our plan. And friends, God has a heart for the overlooked who live in the negative space around us. And faithfulness to God's mission of helping people find and follow Jesus means finding and connecting those who are in the negative spaces of our lives, those who are overlooked. And friends, that that mission, just like Jesus' mission to us, is worth risking for, sacrificing for. It's worth living with courage to help make happen. Let's pray, friends.
Father, forgive us for living with fear because of our awareness of our inability to bring people to a fix in their lives. We recognize that that comes through the power of your Holy Spirit regenerating people from the inside out. We recognize, Lord, that what you're doing in the world is something that you've given to us, that you've called us to go. You've called us to sacrifice in ways that mirror what you've done for us. As a God of grace who gave to us from the wealth and riches of heaven, you sent Jesus. So Lord, give us the courage to do what feels like risk and yet has the reward of participating in the work you're doing in the world. Father, give us the vision to see those we overlook. Correct us so that our hearts would be aware of those all around us who need forever relationship with you. Continue to direct us, Lord, as we give ourselves to your mission for our lives. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Friends, we call the gospel good news.